Well, Crave, welcome to our final series of 2021. As you can see, it is Misfit Toys. Now, I'm sure most of you have seen this, so show of hands if you have never seen the 1964 special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Show of hands. Okay, some of you, and you were a little freaked out by that video that we showed in the intro. Let me explain to you what's going on here. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, obviously our main character, he has run away from the North Pole. And with him are Hermie the Elf, who doesn't want to be an elf, he wants to be a dentist, which, you know, that's cool, that's a life choice. Uh, to not make toys, but to be a dentist. And then also Yukon Cornelius, who's a famed explorer. And they wind up on this island of misfit toys. And every toy on the island has something wrong with it. Uh, Just in this picture that you can see on the screen, you've got a plane who can't fly. You've got a train who has blocks for back wheels on his caboose. You've got this polka dot elephant which elephants don't have polka dots. But then you've got this little doll in the front. What's wrong with the doll? Besides her having red hair. Sarah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's debated. So uh, some people say she's missing her nose, which when I look at a doll like that, I don't think they typically have noses. Actually, the creator of this 1964 special, years later in an interview said that Dolly for Sue, which is the name of this doll, has psychiatric issues stemming from her abandonment, <laughs> which is definitely uh, shades of Lotso Huggin' Bear just years and years before. Uh, the reality is they added this doll very late in production. They felt like this scene didn't have anything to connect with little girls, and so they added her late. And my theory is they just, they just didn't think about having something uh, that made her an obvious misfit. But we're using this as our launching point because every person in this room has felt like a misfit at some point. You have felt out of step or out of place at your school, in your job, on your team, maybe even in your homes. We have all at times felt like misfits. And the good news is the Bible is full of misfits. Uh, and we're going to look at uh, two stories, uh, one this week from the Old Testament, one next week from the New uh, and we're just going to see some of these people in the Bible who were misfits. And we're going to see that their story is our story. I want you to get that tonight. So just in thinking about the Old Testament, who are some of the most famous people that you can think of from the Old Testament? Abraham, sure. Father Abraham. right? Moses, Noah, King David. All good answers. And we're not talking about any of them tonight. Well, David will be kind of a a side character in what we're doing here tonight. But tonight, our primary focus will be on Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Real person. Promise I didn't make that up. He exists. Uh, He doesn't get the name recognition of some of those others. But we're going to be talking about Mephibosheth. And if you've got your outline uh, there, you see you've got a blank at the top above the numbered blanks. Uh, I just want you to take your best crack at spelling Mephibosheth before I show it to you on the screen. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I'm sure you're doing a great job. You're scholarly. You're awesome. It's spelled M-E-P-H-I-B-O-S-H-E-T-H. 
I'm sure all of you got it right. (laughs) Uh, Mephibosheth, and this is who we're going to focus on tonight, but in any story, it's important to know kind of all the key players. And so I want you to see this on the screen. Mephibosheth, I've got a line coming to him from Jonathan. Jonathan is the father of Mephibosheth. And the line coming from Jonathan reaches back to King Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul was Mephibosheth's grandfather. Jonathan was Mephibosheth's father. And then you see I've got David also on the screen, but not in this line because he's not related to these men. But these are the key players in our story. In our story tonight, we're going to look at it a little bit out of order. Uh, We're going to really Tarantino this thing, and it's going to be great. So uh, what I want you to see first, uh, while we will mostly be in 2 Samuel 9 tonight, we're going to start in 2 Samuel 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, See this. It says, Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, had a son who was disabled in both feet. He was five years old when the news of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse picked him up and fled. But it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and could no longer walk, and his name was Mephibosheth. This is an incredibly devastating day. So the Philistines uh, have attacked, and King Saul and Prince Jonathan both die at this battle on the same day. Just imagine the grief and the loss when that news comes to five-year-old Mephibosheth. And to make matters worse, his nurse picks him up to flee with him. Why is she fleeing? Well, because the royal family is being wiped out. She's trying to remove him to a place of safety. But in her haste, she drops him. We don't know exactly what happens, but he becomes crippled in both feet. Mephibosheth, I want you to see this, and this will go in your first blank under his name on your handout. Mephibosheth is broken. He's broken. Yes, physically, he is crippled for the rest of his life. And I'm sure he had to wrestle with that, but don't miss the emotional brokenness that this little boy would have had to grow up with and be shaped by. The loss of his family. Some of us in this room have lost family. We've lost close loved ones. And we know what that's like. You've perhaps heard me talk about losing my father when I was 17 years old. Probably the single greatest shaping event of my life. And I had a lot more tools to manage through that pain and that loss and that brokenness at 17 than any five-year-old could have. What you maybe have not heard me talk about is I have a little sister who when I was 17, she was six. And I have watched the lasting impact the emotional brokenness of losing a father has had in her life. And so I can begin to imagine what this must have been like for Mephibosheth. Yes, physically broken, but also emotionally. And some of us in this room, if we're honest, we're in a very broken place right now. Mephibosheth's story is our story. So we come to 2 Samuel 9. At this point, like I said, Saul is, is dead, and David now is king. And he has consolidated the kingdom. He's been kind of getting his affairs in order. And in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? 
anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. So why would David ask this? He's king now. Why is he worried about Jonathan's family? Well, if you're not familiar with David and Jonathan's relationship, we've got a journey back to 1 Samuel 20. Specifically for sake of time, we'll look at just a few verses, uh, 16 and 17 to start. It says that Jonathan made a solemn pact with David saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. Now don't miss this. At this point, King Saul has set himself as an enemy of David because he feels threatened by him. The people are impressed with David. He's begun to stack up some victories. He's killed Goliath. And people are praising him more than they're praising King Saul. And so when Jonathan says, may the Lord destroy all your enemies, understand the significance, the magnitude of what's being said there. Jonathan's in a tough place where he's very close with David, but he's also the son of the current king. Verse 17, Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Now hear me on this. Some people have taken this verse and they've tried to twist this and say that David and Jonathan had some kind of perverse relationship or or, or something along those lines. And I'm just telling you, it's not true. David and Jonathan loved each other the way that Christ commanded us to love one another. Like, you've heard that, right? Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, meaning to care for them and look after them the same way you would do for yourself. But see, most of us are selfish, and we just look out for number one. These guys understood what it meant to to truly love each other. And at the end of this chapter, 1 Samuel 20, verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is a witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. David and Jonathan didn't just care for each other. They promised to care for each other's families forever. That's true friendship. A lot of us operate in a very superficial way with our friends, and it's really more about what we can get from that friendship. David and Jonathan said, hey, if something ever happens to me, you take care of my family. If something ever happens to you, I'll take care of yours. Man, what what a wonderful example of Christian love. And so that brings us back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. In verse 3, David is told, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Emil. So, I don't want you to miss this. Mephibosheth is exiled. He's exiled. That's your second fill-in about him. And you may be wondering, like, where am I getting that from? Well, the name of the place he's at. This is a young man who would have grown up in the palace, but now he's in Lodabar. Debar means thing or word. Lo is a negator. So literally, he's living in a place with no words and no things, nothing He is in Nowheresville. He is in isolation. He is in exile. And maybe you have felt that way. If you've lived here in South Carolina for any amount of time, you've seen a lot of small towns that feel very forgotten and out of the way. And maybe you can identify with that. That's where Mephibosheth is. And he's been there a long time. How long exactly, I can't say. What we know is he was five years old when he became crippled. 
and left the life he had known behind. At this point, we find out later in 2 Samuel 9, he has a small child of his own. So even if we account for him having a child on the younger side of things, which people had children in their teenage years very commonly back then, at least 10 years, maybe more, he's been living in the middle of nowhere, a place with no words and no things. He's exiled. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like you're just on the edge of nothing. You're living in this self-imposed exile. Mephibosheth's story is our story. Let's keep reading 2 Samuel 9, verse 5. David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Why does he come with his mentality that we see here? It's because when a rival would become king, it was not an uncommon practice to completely wipe out the family of your previous rival so that they would not grow up or rise up or give birth to those who would rise up and come back on you. So with Saul and Jonathan dead, Mephibosheth fully expects to be killed. And when he is summoned from his exile that was self-imposed to protect not only himself but his family, he thinks this is it. He comes in and bows low to the ground. And I'm just telling you it's, it's possible that Mephibosheth thought this was the end of his life. And he's probably thinking of his young son and how his young son is going to go through the same thing that he did, losing his father at such an early formative age. And so because of that, your third fill-in is that Mephibosheth was fearful. And that makes sense that he was fearful. He's meeting this man. He has no idea the friendship that he shared with his father, Jonathan, who's long dead. He's fearful that his life is coming to an end. And perhaps even now you are living in a state of fear. And I don't know what from, but Mephibosheth's story is our story. And the good news is this story has a great ending. Let's see that in verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said. See, he understood what was going on in Mephibosheth's mind. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Listen, this is about more than just having a good meal. To eat with the king was a status symbol. David is placing significant value on Mephibosheth. And he understands this because in verse 8, he bows respectfully and exclaims, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? The last fill-in that you have about Mephibosheth is that he was restored. He was restored from loss and grief and brokenness and bitterness to a place at the king's table. And if you skip down a little further, 2 Samuel 9.13 says that Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Mephibosheth's story is our story. You, too, can be restored. And I, and I want you to see this kind of throughout. I want you to see, again, his story is our story. You are broken. 
Ephesians 2, 1 says that once we were dead because of our disobedience and many sins, perhaps you're still living in that brokenness. That we too have perhaps lived in exile, crushed by the burdens of the things that have happened to us in our past. And yet, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This is good news. If you have been afraid or are currently living in fear, Jesus says in the upper room, which we just spent several months studying, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot. So don't be troubled or afraid. Hey, if you need peace, you're not going to find it in the world. You won't find it under the Christmas tree in a few weeks. You can only find it in Jesus. And the good news is that we can be restored. John 6, 37, Jesus says, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. Perhaps even sitting here, you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room and you're afraid. You're afraid that hellfire and brimstone and condemnation are coming your way and all that he wants to do is restore you. I want you to see this parallel of Mephibosheth's response to King David in Psalm 8, 3 and 4. It says, when I look at the night sky and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Mephibosheth calls himself a dead dog. Real healthy self-image, yeah? And the reality is God is powerful and mighty and he created the universe and yet he still chooses to see us and know us and love us. And we too are invited to the king's table. Revelation 19.9 says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. We have this picture of eternity, of being able to sit with Jesus at his table. Revelation 3.20 actually says, uh, Jesus talking, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And those who will open it, I will come in and share a meal together as friends. Is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart tonight? I know that's kind of cliche language that we use sometimes in, in the church, but is that you? Are you seeing shades of your story of Mephibosheth's story and daring to hope maybe for the first time that you can be restored? Our theme verse for this two-week series comes from John 15, 16. I just want you to see this first part. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And you may feel like that can't possibly be true for you. It can only be true for a pastor on a stage or the holy person sitting next to you. But the bottom line that I want you to take away from tonight is this. I'm not too broken for Jesus. I want you to write that down. I choose to write that in the first person for you because I don't want you to think this is just someone else. Oh, yeah, friend, you're not too broken. No, no, no. Say it. Say it out loud. I'm not too broken for Jesus. You say that out loud now, and you say it out loud tomorrow, and you speak this truth over yourself every day. No matter what you've done, how far you have fallen or strayed away, you are not too broken for Jesus. So Jacob's going to come, he's going to play, and uh, I'm going to pray for us. And my prayer very simply will be that this story will speak to you and that the Holy Spirit will work in and through you as we close it in the song. God, just thank you for these students. I just pray that you would help them to see they're not too broken for you, no matter what they've done 
or are actively doing even today. You love them, and you long to be with them. You long to restore them and invite them to a place at your table. So I pray that you would move through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.